was always somebody else that had to reinvent themselves because you know what? I'm good, right? So, but what you then see is that at a personal level, if we don't appreciate the need to change ourselves, it is actually very difficult to drive that change and reinvention and transformation in an organization. Sharing a story, everyone listen. Wind in her hair, run toward the unknown. When you're riding the big wheel. Today I'm talking with Su Yen Wang, a global thought leader, speaker, and board director who helps organizations across the world and leaders reinvent themselves. From reimagining the corporate ecosystem of your people and the future of work to navigating your own personal and professional journey, CEM brings a fresh perspective and pragmatic approach for how you can reinvent your business and yourself at any age and stage of your life. Her insight and work has been featured in global business networks and publications such as WSJ, Bloomberg, CNBC, Today, Business Insider, and so many more. So grab your cup of coffee, glass of wine, put on your running shoes, wherever you are today, and join me for what can be the start of your own journey to reinvention. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here with us, Suyen. Um, the pleasure is all mine. So before we really get started, I would love for people to learn a little bit about you, what you do in your work. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting you in Singapore this uh, past year. And um, it, you've had just a real fascinating journey. So just talk to us a little bit about that, please. Well, I actually started out as a music major. Well, to be precise, a music and computer science major. Um, I eventually weaved my way into uh, a business career, went back to business school, um, and spent uh, over a couple of decades in uh, strategy consulting, human capital consulting, uh, and eventually um, leading the Marshall McLennan business in Southeast Asia. And from there, you know, I, I started my board journey pretty early on. And so I think what I've been able to do is sort of blend um, the diversity of experiences that I've had, um, the ability to operate across North America and Asia, uh, as well as under different ownership structures. So it's really been a fascinating journey for me personally. I love the diversity. Wow. Well, you are in front of global leaders across cultures, across countries. And, you know, I got to get right to it and ask you the question that I know everyone wants to know, which is, you know, what on earth is, the, is on the mind of the sea level today? We have been through, right, so much change, starting with the pandemic, you know, and even even pre-pandemic, that whole evolution of technology. Now we've gotten through the global pandemic. People work differently. They think differently about their lives and their careers. And, uh, you know, now we've got AI. So what is on the mind of the sea level today? And then I'd like to talk a little bit about what's on your mind. Thanks so much for the question, Michelle. Um, if I look at it and sort of pull up to sort of the, the 10,000 foot level and look at it from both the board and management perspective, I would say that there are several issues that everyone is re really preoccupied with. One actually is a geopolitical lens, which is depending on what industry you might be in, where you're operating, the issue of geopolitics has really crept into the boardroom in a way that I've never seen before in the last decade. 
So, you know, whether it's disruptions to your supply chain, whether it's disruptions to how you source talent and work with talent, um, these have all have uh, ramifications in the boardroom, which really were not such top of mind issues as, you know, if you rewind back a few years. Second, you touched on several of the issues already, which is around um, technology and disruption. Actually, technology and disruption is not new. It's just that the nature of that disruption really has been uh, accelerating in, in many ways. And so um, boards and CEOs and C-suite executives are really having to think about, well, how is this going to really affect my business? And importantly, how does this affect the way that I think about the culture of my organization, specifically around agility. Third, mm -hmm. you talked about changes in workforce, um, whether it's about you know, uh, having much more flexible um, work dynamic, whether it's about having to work with much more global teams because now we can, uh, or it's been normalized to, to work a lot more remotely uh, and in, in a more sort of um, you know, independent manner as well as more flexible manner. Um, that's really changing the way people work and their expectations of how one should go about structuring their life and work. And fourth, I would say the issue, which is also very much on top of mind for many C-level executives and board directors, is around this issue of sustainability. And of course, that's that means so many different things to so many different people. Uh, again, it varies depending on what industry you're in, um, you know, where in the supply chain you are. Um, where in your life cycle you are, where in the world you are. Um, but I'd say these are some of the key dimensions that I really see companies grappling with. And the pace of it really is, I think, the added complexity. It's really incredible. I've never seen um, business change at such a rapid pace. And I'm talking about how people think about work. Um, so the culture is changing the way that we interact is changing, like so much is, is changing so quickly. So I think that everybody can put their arms around, right, the geopolitical landscape. Like, I think that's pretty clear and what's happening as well as the evolution of technology. Although I will say that a lot of um, leaders and the companies that we're consulting with, they're still trying to figure out like, how do they leverage it, right? So. And what's the right balance of AI and the human factor? Um, and then you mentioned the agility piece. So I would like you to can we can we delve a little bit about a little bit more into that and like what that means to you and what they're thinking because that's one area that I'm not so sure you know I've got the depth of you know really understanding what that means and and what the C level is thinking about. So when you talk about agility, so much of it really is about building a culture that is dynamic and flexible. You know, we used to think about business plans in five-year horizons, right? To yeah. some extent, it's still important to have a long-term view. And it is important to have a long-term view. One of the boards of the companies that I serve on is really thinking in terms of eight generations. So that's macro long-term wow. But at the same time, while it seems to be a paradox, it's really important to be thinking about how to be dynamic and to move quickly. Mm -hmm. Organizations, the larger they are, move at, it, it, it's, it's like it takes a long time to move a big ship, right? So, so to move large organizations actually takes an immense amount of effort. So how do you build in that kind of dynamism into your organization? It really starts by having leaders um, that have that very agile mindset and to make people 
feel comfortable with constant change. I mean, as human beings, many of us are wired to feel pretty comfortable with a routine. We like routine, right? Um, but how do you actually get people to feel comfortable with constant disruption? So we hear about, oh, no, oh my goodness, this organization is going through yet another reorganization, right? Or we are, you know, we are, you know, shedding a piece of our business. We're doing another merger with another company. We're making an acquisition over there. Uh, we've got a workforce that's no longer uh, fit for purpose. We have to think about redundancies, but at the same time, the new skills we need to bring. All of this happening at the right uh, at the same time means that companies really need to have a agility DNA. So this agility DNA is the ability to really you know, form teams, uh, disband when they're no longer fit for purpose and to be comfortable with this pace of change. And that is probably one of the most difficult things for leaders to instill uh, in their leadership teams and then permeate all the way down the organization. And yet really, really important. Okay, so thank you for that. Um, I wanted to get a little bit into that. And then of course, sustainability we know um, is really top of mind and companies are still working, you know, to, to build that into their DNA. And, you know, one of the things that um, we're learning about the generations, younger generations, they do business with people who they align with, right? Based on what those companies are doing. And are you are you seeing more of that? Because we're hearing that in even in the B2B space that um, buyers, uh, whether you're in B2C, direct to consumer or B2B, that, that sustainability is starting to become more important. Yeah, I think, you know, candidly, it's a spectrum. And I think that there is a spectrum of, um, you know, where, where an organization falls and in terms of where their workforce uh, places priorities. And this varies by, you know, the type of company and so forth. But on the whole, uh, if you look at the level of awareness, level of consciousness, clearly um, it's something that governments are driving. Uh, and because governments have signed up to certain commitments, um, therefore, they then need to push regulation down to organizations who then need to figure out, well, how do we make this happen? And at the same time, you've got the consumer side of things or the workforce side of things. So both of those um, that are really demanding uh, a shift in how we do business, right? So you've got these two forces working together, which really, I think, is creating a lot of positive momentum uh, in terms of thinking about, well, how do we, in some cases, completely rethink our business. If you're in a business um, where it's an existential issue, you really need to think about what is the risk here uh, in terms of the core business, but also then what are the opportunities, right? So, um, I, you know, it's, it's really quite varied uh, depending on where you are. And I think it's a little bit of a misnomer to sort of say, well, it's one size fits all because it never really is one size fits all. Um, you know, if you're in, uh, you know, in a heavy, uh, industry, it's going to look very different than if you're in a professional services firm. Yeah. Uh, if you're in a market that's, you know, a little bit further along in terms of its thinking, its consumer buying preferences, it's also going to be a little bit different. And of course, if you're in multiple markets, then you need to sort of multiply that out by the complexity. Uh, or if you're multiple business or multiple industries, uh, you need to multiply that out and, and make sure that what you're putting in place is fit for purpose uh, in each of those different uh, situations. So it's a lot. There's a lot that's on the mind of, of the C-level today. So I want to ask you something. Um, you talk about, and what you focus on is reinvention. 
And, you know, we're going to get into the, the how you work with executives on reinventing themselves. But let's talk about reinvention in the workplace today. Um, what we hear a lot about is, you know, business transformation. We're going through a three to five year transformation. We're going from selling, you know, um, laptops to, you know, laptops as a service, and we're going to sell software and we're going to enable a hybrid workforce, whatever that transformation looks like. The first thing I just wanted to ask you is, is there a difference between reinvention and a business transformation? Are they the same or not? And maybe it's up to the interpretation of the company. And then just, you know, secondly, I want to talk about, you know, we'll get into like, what it really means when you sign up for it as a leader, we're going to reinvent our business. Because um, I think that, you know, there's this, this thought process that, oh, it'll take a year. And then there's, oh, it'll take three to five. Or like, how does that even really happen? Or what we really hear a lot about is, oh my God, it's another business transformation. Well, nothing really happened the last time. So I'd like to first just, you know, if you could talk about the difference between them or are they the same? And then what it means to you, how do you define it? Well, perhaps before we get into that, one thing that I sort of like to call out a distinction on is, you know, what's the difference between, um, you know, innovation and disruption, for example. So innovation is, you know, the way I think about it is when you go out and you seek um, to do something differently. Disruption is when that change comes to you, right? So, uh, so there's a bit of a difference in terms of how you think about you know, your, 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 mental, your mental frame. Uh, and when you think about transformation versus reinvention, I think it's also a little bit about thinking about, well, the, the degree to which you're actually making the shift. Um, you know, and some of it might be semantic, but I think really for a lot of organizations and for, for individuals as well, it's how do you really think about not just shifting the gears in the short term, but how do you in fact rethink your entire identity? So let's say you're a tobacco company, or let's say you're in a mining industry, uh, and you can see the long-term trends, whether it's in health or whether it's in environmental issues, and you can see that that's going to lead in a particular direction, particular outcome, you really need to start thinking about how to reinvent the core of what you are. So your identity as a company, your, your purpose as a company really needs to be reshaped by the, the forces that are coming upon you. You know, at the same time, that obviously requires transformation. But again, I guess some of this is probably a little bit of semantics, um, but regardless, it requires, um, you know, step change in terms of how you actually think about shifting the forces. Uh, but again, I think, you know, as you think about this as business leaders, um, you know, how much of it do we go and seek out? Or do we wait for it to come to us? And I would say, well, you know, given the times that we live in, better to be proactive to look at, well, here's the landscape and how it's shifting and how do we need to go out there and get ahead of the changes and the, and the forces that are upon us so that you can actually disrupt yourself, right, before you get disrupted yeah. by the changes out there. So what I'm hearing you say is the one thing, and, and I think about this whenever we are asked, so we do sales effectiveness here in my business. Whenever we're called in, though, it's because there has been a disruption, and so now there's a transformation. And so it's, it's um, being responsive to something that's happening externally, whether it's one of the four things that you mentioned earlier or something else that's causing them to change 
the way that they do business. And what I'm hearing you say when you think about the notion of reinvention, think about it from a more proactive standpoint, like you're looking at the landscape, but you also said something that I rarely hear in business transformation, which is it's about the identity of your organization, which is very different than we're changing our products and services. Therefore, we need a new talk track for our salespeople. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I want to think about if I'm a leader today and, you know, like I just said, most of what I experience is that they're looking at these business transformations. And so if we want to, if we want to be, um, a company like I'm a leader of a company and I want to be sustained. I want to sustain my own business over the next decade or more. Like, Suyin, how do you think that that leaders need to change their own mindset? You've got, you know, they've got the immediate pressure of the board and you can speak a lot to that because at the end of the day, it's about shareholders. It's about revenue, right? It's about getting the, the promises and the results that you said you were going to get the outcomes. How do you as a leader think through and get a board on board, if you will, with this notion of reinvention and thinking about how do we redefine ourselves as a business? Great question. So the first thing I would say is to get alignment between management and the board on where you're actually headed um, you know, very often you have situations where the board has something in mind, management has something in mind, and they're at cross purposes. Mm -hmm. So that alignment of direction is really, really key. And that's really this, the starting point. Um, once you have that alignment, then you can start thinking about, okay, well, how do we, how do we reimagine ourselves? Right? What is it that we, that we need to think about in terms of our purpose? How do we redefine success? for example. So it might have been that in the past, success was based on a particular set of metrics, but moving forward and board and management agree on this, our metrics of success might look like something else, right? So we talked about shareholder value, we talked about stakeholder value, you talk about what it means in terms of the kind of culture people that we're trying to build, uh, may talk about the kind of impact that we're trying to have. Um, you know, how do we look at success metrics? Then you look at, well, then how do we then infuse that into the organization culture that we're trying to build. So, you know, very much about landscape strategy linked into culture. And very often what happens is you're, you know, the, the landscape has shifted five steps ahead. Our strategy is maybe three steps ahead and our organization dynamics are two steps behind, right? So it's uh -huh. how do you make sure that you took all that all aligned and making sure that your board and management are steering in the same direction. So, you know, if, if you've got a board and management that are sort of, um, fractious in terms of the, the the way they think about these issues, then you spend all your time trying to convince each other uh, of that particular direction and, and why the other side is wrong or, or why your or why your side is correct, uh, that you don't actually spend enough time really driving the business forward and leading the change uh, that you need to see happen in the business. Right. So I, I would say that these are some of the fundamentals that are, you know, easier said than done, clearly, um, but really critical to successful reinvention, successful transformation of businesses. So what I'd like to talk about a little bit is getting that alignment. And if you could share with us 
just some things that you may have experienced or, or what leaders have done that have been really successful and mm-hmm. others that have not. Um, what I see when they're not successful, what you see is the CRO goes to work for you know the largest competitor. The CEO leaves, right? Like you see turnover when there's frustration. I've experienced it. Um, and I've talked to leaders that have done that. You see others that you know, have taken the company to the next level. So how do you think about, so I, I wanna think about the fractious company. I wanna think about the board that is looking at, you know, what we need to hit this number kind of thing. And I think about private equity, for example, right? It's all about the number, not really about the reinvention. So how do you, what, what have you seen work really well in getting that alignment? And then it would be great to talk about some things you've seen that just fail. Yeah. So when you think about alignment, you know, it's, it's both, um, I, I think it's a, it's a mix of cognitive as well as effective. So you've got sort of agreement Mm-hmm. on what the risk factors are. You've got agreement in terms of where the business needs to head, but actually underlying that is how do you ensure that your chair and CEO have a good relationship based on trust? Uh, and how does that then permeate out into the board culture and the management and organization culture? Because when you are bringing a board together, at the end of the day, you've got a collection of people um, that have different backgrounds and different interests and, and different perspectives. And that's fantastic. You want to build diverse boards. At the same time, you need to take that diversity of perspectives and you need to get it to land. So when you get it to land, it's really the chair's role to build a kind of culture where board members are, you know, are, are able to, to speak freely uh, respectfully, get the different ideas out, constructive conflict, right? To be able to um, you know, see the landscape as it is um, and be able to look at possibilities. You know, in an environment where um, you've got a much more stable operating environment, that's less critical. But in the environment that you know, we've just been talking about where there's so much change, that's when you really need these multiple perspectives because you know what? You don't really know how the scenario is going to play out. So you need to look at these possibilities. So you bring the board together. You, you, know, you, you look at how the different scenarios may play out. You, you really test each other. You push each other. And then from there, you say, okay, well, as a board, we're united on agreeing on what this direction is going to be. So you're building that culture, that cohesive culture of the board. Same thing, management, right? A CEO needs to do the same thing with a management team and then have that drive all the way down the organization, one, two, three, four, five, six levels down, all the way down so that people really understand where they're headed. And that linchpin is the chair and CEO relationship to have this really strong uh, relationship where, again, those debates, that constructive conflict, that constructive and creative uh, dialogue can happen, um, to speak without fear, to be able to push each other um, in, a, in, in a collaborative and supportive and yet you know, uh, constructive um, conflict sort of a way uh, is actually what helps to build all these different components to move in the same direction. The last thing you want is to have a board that's very united, great, mm-hmm. management is very united, but that link isn't there, right? So all these pieces actually need to come together. And that's when I've seen it really work successfully. 
Okay, so you've got to make sure that the board and the management team are on board, if you will. Um, and then you brought up two very important things, which is trust and culture. It goes back to that. And, you know, I would say it takes a lot of bravery, too, for companies to do that. Um, I'm thinking about a CEO uh, that I know, and he actually let go a very high-performing CRO of his organization. It was very difficult, but he did. Very high-performing, knew how to drive people, but culturally was not aligned and created a lot of disruption within the organization. So even though the number was there, everything else was seemingly falling apart. And he let him go at, at high risk, um, you know, seemingly high risk and everything sorted itself out. So I would think that, you know, you've got to be very objective and you've also got to be pretty brave to make those types of decisions. And it comes back to the point around how do you define success? right? For both the organization, but also individuals. So you've got somebody on your team. What is that success measure? Is that success measure simply how much they generated in revenue? Or is it success measure how much they contributed to the success of their overall business? And you've got this individual who is driving the numbers, but creating a wave of destruction. Well, that means that they're only fulfilling half of the success metric, not the other half of the success metric. So, you know, being really clear about what defines success for the organization to the CEO, to senior management down the ranks is super, super important. All right, so here's the big question because we always know uh, on these business transformations, let's call them initiatives. And we've already said there's a difference between a reinvention and a transformation. Now you have these goals, right? So in two years, we're going to, in one year, we're going to. How long does a reinvention take? Do you say, we're gonna go from a to Z in this period of time, do you take it in small pieces? Like what, again, you know, seems to work best and, and what does a timeline look like? Yeah, so I would say that a for a reinvention to happen, transformation is going to be a part of that. You need to transform in order to reinvent. But the converse is not necessarily true, which is, you know, you don't necessarily reinvent wholesale in order to transform. Right. So you might think of a reinvention as a series of transformations, potentially. Uh, and I would say that it's very difficult, if not impossible, to actually have a specific time frame in mind, because the pace of change does depend on the operating environment that you're in. So in some cases, it really is a, you know, existential issue. Um, you know, you've got, you know, forces that are upon you that really, you know, force your hand in terms of really having to make, for example, um, a change in regulation, right? All of a sudden in a particular market, they regulated that what you're doing, you know, the regulators come in and said that what you're doing is no longer permitted or permitted, right? Either way. Uh, and, you know, you, you then sort of say, well, that landscape changed overnight. Now, how do we actually reinvent what we do? to be able to adapt to that situation. So that could happen very, very quickly. Other times it might be much more of a slow drip. So, you know, I mentioned oil and gas earlier. Well, you know, in the short term, you know, we're still gonna need, you know, oil, you know, it's gonna need conventional, uh, con conventional fuel sources. And so you have a bit more time to work through that, but the scale of change is very large as well, right? So um, it really depends on the specific situation that you find yourself in. Um, and so I would say, you know, just read the tea leaves in your particular sector carefully, um, because, you know, I think the, the other thing that's also important is depending on how 
much of a burning platform you have, mm -hmm. it also then gives you a different drive in terms of the scale and pace of change you need to create in the organization. You know, so much of, you know, I, I spent, you know, like I said, you know, a couple of decades in strategy consulting and then human capital consulting. And one of the things that I learned in that process was really, you can have the best strategy in the world on paper, but at the end of the day, what needs to happen is translating that strategy into the organization, people, and culture so that behaviors actually change. Otherwise, you've got a great strategy, but you can't execute against it, right? And so a lot of that also then you know, comes down to, well, what is the pace of change that your organization can handle? And if it is unable to, you know, if, if it can only move at speed X, but you're saying, well, we need to get there at speed Y, um, either you need to make some adjustments in terms of the team that you have, or you're going to have to say, well, maybe X plus one is, is what we can handle at the moment. Or you might actually say, well, you know, if that then, you know, forces too much of a, of a risk to the business, then you might actually say, well, then do we shed certain assets? Do we actually, you know, look at, um, you know, buying an, another company that's going to help us drive a culture a little bit differently? But there are lots of different levers that one can pull. Um, but again, it is really unique to each individual company. And it would be, I think, a little bit simplistic to sort of say, well, here's the answer, um, regardless of your context. Yeah. So I think that's perfect advice and sound advice. Um, sounds like reinvention then. Really, if you make a commitment to it, it becomes part of your culture and who you are. And incremental may be the answer today and just continuous incremental change. Um, and I, I think it was well said around the pace of change and tolerance of change. You know, one of the things we want to really be in tune with is what's the capability of the company to change capabilities constraints. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this is the part that's really fun for me is you work with executives um, on reinventing themselves. And you talked a little bit about persona and uh, when we've discussed this in the past and you know their work persona, maybe their personal persona, their personality, like how, when you think about reinventing yourself um, in a new role, let's say, taking that next big step, what is it that drives people to want to reinvent themselves. I guess that's the first one. And secondly, like how do they start? And can anybody do it? Yeah, so I started this journey for a couple of reasons. One, I started doing a lot of research about this topic. And one of the things that you know I, I've come to appreciate is that the way we think about careers um, even things around things like uh, retirement age were really designed in an era when we were living, um, uh, when we had much shorter lifespans. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back in the day when our average lifespan was, you know, 65 years old and you had a retirement age of 62 years old, you know, you basically run your career in a certain number of years. And by the way, the pace of change, as we talked about earlier, was not as rapid, right? So, uh, business did not transform at the pace that it's transforming today. So you could sort of run your career, move your way up the corporate ladder, as one would say, retire, and then you know have a couple of years, few years to retire, and and that would constitute um, a, a typical career slash life cycle. Today, however, uh, you've got a couple of forces that are 
competing forces. One is our lifespans have grown significantly. Singapore, for example, has the longest lifespan, average lifespan in the world. Wow. Um, and yes, this is, we recently wow. overtook Switzerland, I understand. Um, so we've got the longest lifespan in the world. And at the same time, business models are shrinking dramatically, right? So, um, you know, a company used to have a business model that sort of ran, you know, sort of, uh, you know, in, in, you could measure in terms of decades, right? Today, business business models are sort of in a five to seven year sort of time horizon, if that, right? And sometimes even more rapid than that. So when you've got these two competing forces, you know, you really need to think about you know, our own careers differently. And so um, what I started to see was basically people who, you know, you might have spent, you know, 20 years, let's say, in a particular function, maybe even a company, though that's a little bit less common these days, but it still does happen 20 years or so, two couple of decades in a company and a function of a particular role, particular industry. That gets you to, let's say, late 40s or 50s, right? And then you say, well, lifespan's going to be till you're 80. You've got another good productive 20 more years to go. So do you then continue in the path that you were on? Or do we actually then say, well, hang on, you know, what's that next chapter and what does that look like? So that was one train of thought, right? In terms of when I was looking at the, the data and looking at sort of how uh, lives and careers were evolving, that's one. The second thing that I then, and this is how it connects into corporate reinvention. The other thing is when I started working with companies on their own reinvention, their own transformation, the funny thing is, what, is that, you know, the more senior you went in an organization, the more commonly you would hear something like, oh, you know, um, I'm the CEO or I'm the CFO, I'm the CRO, um, you know, I, I'm here. And sometimes it wasn't expressed this way, but you knew that's what people were thinking. I'm here because I've done something right. So clearly it's those people over there that need to do something different. Like it's my people who don't get it, or it's, you know, if I'm in finance, it's only HR doesn't get it. Or if I'm sales, it's like engineering doesn't get it. If I'm in engineering, it's sales doesn't get it. There's always somebody else that had to reinvent themselves because you know what? I'm good, right? So, but what you then see is that at a personal level, if we don't appreciate the need to change ourselves, it is actually very difficult to drive that change and reinvention and transformation in an organization. But once it becomes personal, they say, okay, I get it. I need to learn how to do things differently. My assumptions about the world need to change. Then it becomes much more about, okay, I get it. And this is how it applies to my business, my people, my organization, right? So that's where that link came about and that bridge came about. And so when you combine those two forces, one at the corporate level and one at the individual level, um, that's basically when I started you know, doing a lot more research about this topic and set up my you know, remarkable reinventors community for people who wanted to start thinking about how to reinvent themselves. Uh, and it, you know, it's an interesting community. Some of them are people who are still in executive roles, but thinking a little bit ahead to sort of say, well, how do I start planning for my next chapter? And other people who have actually already um, decided that they want to step off the executive role because they spent 20, 30 years in executive role. And they're, they're trying to really think about, well, how do I reinvent myself? What's my new identity? Like this notion of identity, right? So it's not just corporate identity, but also personal identity. 
maybe spend 20, 30 years doing something, whatever that something is, yeah. your networks, your core of your expertise, your the way you describe yourself at a dinner party, those things are quite well entrenched. And if now you want to flip the page, do something else, it's not necessarily easy. So having a community of people who are going through a similar uh, phase in their careers, in their lives, uh, can be extremely empowering and very powerful in helping to uh, encourage those shifts uh, that that uh, many people are trying to to make for themselves. Okay, so I think that's fascinating. Um, I, I think it's amazing that you've got a community around that. So I'm hearing a couple things, and one is well, let me ask you this on reinvention. Then, are people um, are they saying okay, it's time because they've hit a point in their life where they are looking to make a change? Are they forced to make a change because maybe they feel they're becoming irrelevant. Do you see one or the other, or you know, maybe both? But what is it that someone says, aha, most commonly? And um, and then we'll talk about how they get there a little bit more because you've said a couple interesting things already about that. Mm. You know, actually it um, doesn't fit any one particular pattern. Mm -hmm. um, you are absolutely right that sometimes change is um, foisted upon people. Maybe there's a large restructuring. Maybe there is a change in their family situation, uh, perhaps you know, due to illness, perhaps due to an elderly parent, perhaps due to a relocation, a spouse gets a new job someplace. Lots and lots of different factors that may actually cause uh, and a reevaluation or examination around what the possibilities are. COVID, of course, was another factor that actually I think exacerbated this uh, this this period of reflection for many people who really started thinking about, well, how do I really want to spend my time? How do I want to spend my life? And how do I think I'm going to pursue purpose and meaning in the next half of my career? So. The um, members of the community I have, by and large, are all very senior, established executives um, who've reached, you know, sort of uh, the, 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 the top ranks of their particular industry. And I'll just give you a particular anecdote. Um, actually, was a, a senior partner, one of the world's uh, top uh, leading consultancies, who said to me, hey, look, you know, I can continue down this path. And in 10 years, I might be very successful based on the metrics that, uh, that we've all come to appreciate, but I'll probably be divorced and diabetic. Or I can do something now to relook at how I spend my time, focus on my, you know, on, on a few other things, uh, whether it's interests, whether it's health, and also professional development to be able to shift that outcome 10 years from now. Right. So there are people at every stage in life who are really thinking, rethinking um, how they want to craft that next chapter. And so it's, it's a matter of when you start thinking through that process. Some people start a little bit earlier while they're well, they have no intention of leaving their executive role at that particular moment. They're perfectly happy doing perfectly well, but they want to think about how to pave the way and start laying some of the foundations for how to do that. And actually, in my role as um, chair of the Singapore Institute of Directors, we're also encouraging people in executive roles to start exploring board director roles a little bit earlier as well. Um, it's not necessarily just for people who have, quote unquote, retired, but in fact, people who are in management C-level roles have a lot to add um, to boards of different kinds, right? It might be a startup board. 
Uh, it might be a charity board, lots of ways that one can enrich their networks, enrich their professional skills, uh, as well as their, hopefully their, 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 their lives as well um, by, by extending um, the way that they actually spend their time. So um, again, it's sort of a multitude of factors um, and that trigger, like I said, can be, you know, it can happen to you or you might take a step forward to say, you know, let me explore. The same analogy as we were talking about organizations, right? Is exploration, innovation, or is it disruption? Right? Do you seek it out? Um, do you proactively plan for it? Or does that disruption come to you? In either case, you still need to change. It just <laughs> depends on the circumstances under which you are changing under. So it can happen at any point in your life. You can reinvent, I'm guessing, more than once, you know, mm -hmm. continuous, just like um, in the business. And a really, what I found really interesting is you talked about the community that you've got um, of senior executives that are thinking about reinvention. And I'm, I'm guessing that they support and help each other in that journey. So I'm, I'm hearing you don't need to go it alone or you probably exactly. maybe should not go it alone. I'm, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, when you're in an, particularly when you're in an executive role, um, this isn't necessarily something that you're going to, let's say you're a CEO, that's just something that you're going to discuss with your, 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 your colleagues, right? Um, because you're, I mean, ostensibly still very much focused on driving that business and you are driving that business. So it's not an either or situation. It's an and situation. Um, and at the same time, many people who are very successful in what they do are successful because they've been very dedicated, focused on that thing, whatever that thing might be, um, to be able to reach um, the levels of success they have in that particular domain, that particular function, that particular geography or field and so forth. But when you're really trying to reinvent yourself into, you know, into something that is that draws on those skills, but might be in a very different space, mm -hmm. all you actually find that the networks in the ecosystem are quite different. So for example, if I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm head of marketing, let's say, uh, in the pharmaceutical industry, I probably know lots of people in marketing. I know lots of people in pharmaceuticals, right? That's how I've built my professional network over the past couple of decades. But now let's say I'm going to rethink and I say, maybe I want to think about going into academia. Well, guess what? That's a completely different ball game. Or maybe I say, hey, you know, I actually think I want to try my hand at entrepreneurship. That whole ecosystem looks entirely different as well, right? So it's about how you navigate that shift and also draw support on people who are in themselves diverse and going through that same process. Um, because reinvention, you alluded to this, uh, actually can be a fairly lonely journey. Mm -hmm. um, and it also can be something that, um, you know, we, we put to the side. Uh, the funny thing is that many of us are very focused on everything else but ourselves. <laughs> so we're focused on our business, we focus on our families, we focus on all sorts of all sorts of things that we're really trying to drive for. And when it comes to ourselves, we say, well, you know, that can wait, right? And so we deprioritize that, and we don't spend enough time thinking about it because it's one of those very important but not very urgent issues, right? Mm -hmm. It's absolutely important, but it doesn't have to happen today. Whereas, you know, something else about the business probably needs to be done yesterday, something about the family, it's like tomorrow, right? So we're very focused on, on others and focused on driving those forward. So having a community of people who are going through the same process and accountability partners 
really helps, you know, helps one to pause and say, well, hang on. All right. Here's my me time to really give some deep thought to this. And it's hard. It's hard because, you know, you don't reinvent yourself overnight, typically, right? Typically it's a process. It takes some time to unfold. Uh, And it's a little bit like, um, and if you're going to do something difficult, um, you know, you're going to start step by step by step. And if you look at the mountain and the mountain is this high, well, you're going to go, oh my God, that's a really long way away. But the only way to get started is to take the first few steps and it takes the next few steps, the next few steps. And then eventually you're like, well, hang on, I'm halfway up the mountain. Well, reinvention works very much the same way. If you don't get started, you never get there. Uh, and you know, it's a long journey, um, but uh, having people who can kind of, you know, make sure that you're still on track really makes a difference. You know, it's funny um, you mentioned that. So I've got two sisters and one is in Alaska and one is in, in Portland. And we were, we just met um, in April together and we have decided, so it's funny, we're all doing our own type of reinvention. Right. And we have decided to keep each other accountable. And, awesome. you know, we can't because of our time differences and I've got, you know, we all travel where we do it, you can make it happen, right? What started as we're gonna have a weekly Zoom call evolved into, okay, it's fine if it's a long text stream this week. It's yeah. fine if we FaceTime here and there on our phone, but yeah. we're definitely touching base and keeping each other accountable because we're are gonna make it happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's that really awesome. interesting. Okay, so I can tell them I talked to you today and that we're going to be successful. <laughs> there you go. Just stick with it. You know, I think the the um the the hardest thing is sticking with it. Yeah. Um, many people get started, but they don't see immediate results and they give up. Uh it's a little bit like I use an analogy of gym memberships, right? I mean, in January, first week of January, everyone's at the gym. <laughs> But and, and and people have actually done research on this um, that by somewhere around early and mid February, people have given up on the New Year's resolutions already, right? So just stick with it, right? Even yeah. if you don't feel like it, just stick with it. It's it's a discipline, it's a practice, and then once it becomes part of your routine, then it becomes part of who you are, uh, and that's where the accountability partners become really important. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you something about uh, men and women. And I'm interested to know when you're working with executives, female and and male executives, if there is any difference in, so when they come to you, right, and there's this concept of I'm reinventing, is their approach different? Is their thought process different around maybe why or what they want to do or do you see no difference really at all? No, I think um, I've seen a broad spectrum. Hmm. And I would say that perhaps the difference is not based on gender, but perhaps the difference is more based upon their life situation. Oh, so for example, yeah, let me just, just give you a few examples. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody um, who is in a um, single income situation, their risk tolerance uh, clearly would be quite a bit different than someone that's in a dual income situation. And what I've also seen is that for sometimes when you have couples in the dual income situation, 
they take turns navigating this reinvention process because um, when you're going through a reinvention process, sometimes it does require a little bit of time to get where you're going, uh, which may mean that in the interim, you know, you step back from certain things, but you also step up in other ways. And having, you know, uh, a spouse, male or female, um, who is able to provide that load balance um, does help in terms of the other person taking a risk. For example, I know somebody who, um, you know, had a very successful corporate career, launched a very successful startup, um, but she was able to do that because meanwhile, her husband had kept his income as well. And, and I've seen the exact same situation the other way around, uh, where, you know, two senior uh, tech executives, uh, and then he decided to move into, uh, he wanted to go into the entrepreneurial startup space. She continued her, her, her career in a big tech firm. And so they've navigated differently. So I would say it's maybe less about gender itself, uh, but the kind of um, family dynamics and life stage that people are at. And of course, you know, if you have, um, you know, other family caregiving responsibilities, that may also um, be a shift in how you think about um, when to um, sort of pull the trigger, um, meaning when you decide to step off the executive path fully and move into the next phase, as opposed to try and run things in parallel. Okay, that's um, well said. So it's situational. Think more yeah. about that, not gender. Um, let me ask you about, so I know that you deal with executives, right? You're, you're dealing with the C-level. I happen to be Gen X. You probably deal with a lot of Gen X people, um, baby boomers. But when we think about the next generation of leaders, yep. and I'm thinking about the millennials, although some arguably are right there, and uh, Gen Z, they've experienced things at a, a very rapid pace and very differently than we did at a yep. different Time, right? I think about my daughter who was going through college and graduating during the pandemic, right? And mm -hmm. this workforce. Yes. So when we think about them and we think about their approach and perspective on their work and their career, what do you think, you know, is there anything that you would say is challenging or things that concern you? And then other things that really inspire you about that younger generation, because everyone's talking about it and the perspectives are vast, everything from they're not motivated and driven to, you know, um, I don't see them being, I don't see a lot of direction. Whereas I also experience people that are very focused and, and really thinking about their future. So what is it that you see? Um, and I would ask you to touch on both challenges, mm -hmm this and then things that really inspire you? Oh, I think, you know, um, over history, um, you know, we've probably seen this play out in several ways. It's a little bit like, you know, every generation has music that irritates their parents. You know, it's a little bit like that, right? So, so you know, I, I think I think times change. People evolve. Uh, I would say that the next generation is much more comfortable with uh, with change. Mm -hmm. uh, they've seen it happen. They experience it, uh, and they are sort of um, you know uniquely quite able to deal with the situation. Like you mentioned, you know, going through few years of university in uh, during COVID will do it to you, right? So, you know, they've experienced what it's like to actually have um, ha have things shift on you very, very rapidly. 
Um, and I think therein lies a lesson, right? Which is, you know, you just have to figure out how to adjust and back to this point about agility, be agile uh, and adapt to the situation. Um, and I think that, you know, they are also looking at the world that we live in uh, and they are saying, well, you know, is that what I want? Mm -hmm. So I was uh, actually just speaking to um, uh, a senior uh, leader who was talking about how, um, you know, her daughter said, hey, you know, mom, I, I don't want to, I'm not sure I want to be successful like you, mm -hmm. um, if that's what successful means. If it means, you know, uh, having to travel all the time, not having a life, um, or, or having, you know, uh, a particular, or, or when you look at it, other, um, you know, women, for example, who are in senior roles and saying, well, uh, you know, uh, are they divorced? Do they have not, not have children, no, no families? Are they single? Whatever the case may be. And I think my response to that is, we have to be much more dynamic about what we consider success. Mm -hmm. uh, and to basically say that, you know, if you want to be a successful executive, you can choose to have kids or not choose to have kids. You might, you know, you can choose to be married or not to be married, but do not have one definition of success. Uh, because if that definition is too narrow, I, I, my concern really is the next generation sort of says, well, if that's the definition, I'm not sure I want that. Right? We actually say the definitions are much broader than that. Then they can actually say, well, I can see myself being maybe not in path C, but maybe in path B or, you know, different, different options that people can navigate. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's also incumbent on us to make sure that we don't apply the lens that we've, you know, grown up with or been accustomed to, to the next generation either. Um, so this whole notion of, you know, um, you know, what kind of job are you going to have or, you know, what kind of, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, you know, they are going to be six different things, right? Um, because of the pace of change and they're going to reinvent themselves much more rapidly, much sooner uh, in their lives than before. And, you know, just to bring that back into my lived experience, um, what I'm seeing is that the people who are coming into my Remarkable Reinventors community are coming in younger as well, right? So over time, yeah, you, we're seeing people think about these issues earlier in their career. Now, mind you, it doesn't mean that they're coming in their 20s, it's coming in their 40s, but it used to be people yeah. coming in their 50s. So it sort of jumped by 10 years. And I would suspect that, you know, in the years to come, it's going to jump even earlier. People who are actually going to be relooking at how to, um, you know, recraft their next chapter. So the pages of the book are flipping a lot quicker. You know, I think it's a, a really exciting time because when I went through school and I'm, I'm guessing it was similar with you, maybe not, because we're going to get into your reinvention. But for me, it's like I, I went through college. I knew I was going to get a job. I didn't necessarily think about at that time, what was my passion? What I mm -hmm. thought about was, okay, where am I really skilled? What am I really good at? Right now, I, I had foreign language skills that I, I have. And so I started interpreting for a manufacturing company. I didn't really seek that out. It was what I, you know, was skilled at. Now, I did reinvent myself early on. I went to go work for one of the uh, big four at the time, consulting firms. And then I did choose to own my own business, did this retail franchise. But I started it out very differently, right? I started out very practical. And, you know, my kids, I tell them, wow, you're at a really great time. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about if you're not sure what you want to do, take a little time to explore things, travel, 
you know, get to know, get to do some of those things that quite honestly, frankly, I wish I had done when I was younger. So, yeah. And you know, I think, I think for the younger generation, probably the, one of the most important characteristics to nurture is this notion of resilience Mm. um, and this notion of being able to have a, have a learning mindset. Um, you know, you mentioned early on, you know, whether it's about, you know, generative AI, whether it's different technologies, I mean, that's just one specific thing, but there's gonna be new technologies that come along the way. Um, it's the ability to actually keep learning because their reality is going to be changing much, even more quickly than, than, than what we're seeing it, I believe. Um, and this ability to, to bounce back uh, when confronted with an unknown situation or when confronted with a new technology, when confronted with shifts in industry dynamic, I think that's probably the one of the most important characteristics. It's, you know, it's not about, you know, what did you major in? Um, you know, it's not about, you know, sort of those technical aspects, though starting out, yes, that is important. I also tell people, yes, doesn't mean that grades are not important. You know, you should study, do a good job, <laughs> but make sure that you have this mental uh, fortitude to be able to withstand, uh, you know, so these curveballs that are going to come your way, right? Uh, and so, so much of it, I think, is building that type of inner strength um, that's really critical. And so, when I think about curriculum, I think about students today, even starting from a very young age. It's um, it's the it's the it's the mental well-being that it's the resilience and and that's why I'm actually a huge fan of how do you get students to you know um, participate in the arts or sports because I think these two particular dimensions actually train a lot uh, that resilient mindset because number one number one there is no perfect answer right no matter how fast you are or no matter how good you are there's somebody who's more skillful than you are so you keep getting better you keep getting better you compete against yourself and you build that kind of inner strength um and you know it, it's this lifelong journey that you then infuse into yourself um as opposed to um where you sit for an exam and you know there is a specific right answer uh mm -hmm. Because I think in the future, you know, the right answers are going to be uh, easy to come by with technology. It's those that don't easy right answers that are going to require a lot more of our time and energy. And I think that's what the next generation is going to have to deal with in terms of the the, the, the challenges that they face in the workplace. Yeah, I think uh, that's right. You know, it's not so much. I, I believe the skills are going to be a little bit different, right? It's going to be more. I don't want to call them soft skills, but I do believe being creative, not looking at just what the right answer may be, but being more innovative, if you will, flexible. Yeah. Um, and I like that you stated resilience as well. Yeah. So now this is the most fun part of the podcast for me anyway, because I want to talk about you personally. And uh, I, I see you as just someone who's in continuous reinvention. Um, you're continuously doing different things that are passionate uh, to you. It looks like, right? It, it would appear that way. You're continuously trying new things, testing your abilities, capabilities, pushing to the next frontier. Um, I would love for you to talk to people about your own, um, just how you continuously reinvent yourself, how you see yourself, and what are some of the things that you do 
um, that keep you on top of your game as well. I mean, you've got a really, you got a pretty busy schedule, I would say. And uh, thank you for, you know, taking the time even to do this podcast, right, was was even difficult to schedule because of that. So talk to us a little bit about about you and your own personal journey. I guess um, one of the things that I learned um, fairly early on is that my reality is not everyone else's reality. Um, when I was, I think, in my early 20s, um, I took my first trip to Nepal. And, you know, growing up in Singapore, lots of shiny buildings, you know, you know, first world infrastructure, um, you grew up with a certain level of what you're accustomed to went to the US for for university, again, US has its own uh, sort of dynamic in terms of, you know, standard of living and so forth. Um, first trip in Nepal, I think really opened my eyes to say, hey, look, you know, um, you know, we, we are what we are in many ways due to a, a random sequence that I call the birth lottery, which is who we're born to, where we're born, and to whom we're born. You know, if, you know, I was born at the same point in time, but in um, a, a country that was a developing country, I wouldn't have had the same opportunities, um, education, perhaps, or maybe where they had a different role of girls or whatever the case might be, right? Or if I was born in the same country, but 50 years ago, my life would also have looked very, very different, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so I, I came to appreciate pretty early on that, um, you know, my reality is not reflective of uh, the entire world out there, although it's awfully easy to extrapolate, right? Just because I live this way, surely everybody else lives this way. Um, and so for me, one of the things that has been very important to keeping me grounded is actually um, traveling to places that are very often not on the, let's call it the tourist track. Now, mind you, I, 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 you know, I, I, I love my spas like anybody else and my, and my mm -hmm. resorts and so forth. So don't get me wrong. I enjoy that too. But, um, you know, when I go to travel to places like, um, like Bangladesh for holiday, ostensibly, people, people go, why are you traveling to Bangladesh for holiday? Or, you know, when I went off on a solo trip to Timbuktu, and yes, Timbuktu does exist, it is really to help me see and understand um, how the world we live in operates and to keep me grounded in, you know, how the actions that we may take have a spillover effect. So for example, if you're driving through the desert in Namibia and you drive for hours and hours and hours and it's nothing but desert and you don't see anybody living there, you understand that it's because it's simply uh, uninhabitable. And then you sort of say, okay, this is why if we don't do something from a climate perspective, and temperatures get to a certain level where nothing grows there, there's no water, it's going to cause mass migration, right? So it's these kind of very visceral experiences uh, that I find very helpful uh, in helping me keep my perspective um, open uh, and to reflect on sort of how, on the one hand, we're all connected, but on the other hand, um, you know, how to, how to remind myself that um, you know, the world we live in is very multifaceted, multidimensional, uh, and to keep pushing my own comfort zone. 
Uh, and so I guess that's been um, a sort of a, a late motif in terms of my, my, my life, which is kind of how do I push myself to do things that are um, that are not comfortable. You know, I mentioned early on that I, you know, that I was a strategy consultant. Um, I started in the U.S. and uh, I was given the opportunity to relocate to Asia when the firm was just building its business. Truth mm. be told, if I had stayed in the U.S., my career trajectory would have been smoother. Why? Because it's an established book of business. Uh, clients in the U.S. you know were much more familiar at the time with how to work with consultants. Going into Asia, consulting was still relatively new. I had to start from scratch. Um, but so, was it more difficult? Then, if I stayed the status quo, absolutely. But would I have done it any different? Differently? No, I would. Knowing what I know, but how hard it was to build the business, I still would have done that because it gave me new skills. It gave you know, it built different set of muscles, really. And then the same thing. You know, every time I relocated, moved to a different country, it's been the same. The easier the path of least resistance uh, is usually to stay the same course, and that's why I spend so much time thinking about change management and culture and things like that because I know um, that it's a much more comfortable place to do uh, what what we do um, on a daily basis. But having pushed through, uh, actually, when you get through on the back end of it, um, you, you you sort of appreciate that actually it was worthwhile, and it's a little bit like you know other things that uh, that I that I do. Um, you know, I, I started running um, when I was 49. It was very late in life. <laughs> so, um, but, but the same, you know, and, and it's sort of like, well, you start out and, you know, I, and, and I, you know, I, I, my, my first run, I was so slow. I'm sure some of your listeners walk faster than I, than I was <laughs> running. Um, but, you know, you, you know, I, I, I stuck with it gradually. And, uh, and then somebody said, well, you know, um, you can run a 5k and I said oh really I don't think so but I stuck with it I ran my first 5k I ran my first 10k then somebody said you know that I consider a real runner said well if you can do 10k you can do a half marathon I'm like no no way <laughs> it. and then eventually I did a half marathon and so you know so it's it's pushing out of that comfort zone and when you get out on the back end of it you actually look back and you say hey actually that was possible right so I think this notion of pushing out your of your comfort zone um, is one that has um, kept me um, looking forward to sort of new adventures and new horizons. Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that's a path for everyone, um, but at least it's a path that has worked um, for me in terms of then um, translating those experiences into the ability to reinvent because everything that you do physically that's uncomfortable actually translates into the way you think about, at least the way I think about um, how I might have to do something else that's also difficult, whether it is, um, you know, pulling a board together or whether it's setting a new strategy or whether it's, you know, it's tough, but, you know, if you know that I sort of have a plan, I able to stick to that plan, have a support system, stay consistent, um, that at the back end, those results will be there, right? So trust the process, uh, trust the team, uh, and 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 we'll get there. I think that's great. And so I find it very um, inspirational because it doesn't matter, right? And and you said that you don't have to travel to Timbuktu if that's not what you want to do, but you could um, learn a new language or do something else, right? That might be um, uh, something that would help you push your own boundaries. So reinvention, it really depends. You said this earlier, it depends on where you are, right? And the tolerance for change, 
what is it that you know might be a a big thing for someone might be something different for someone else right everybody's a little bit different i remember so when i was training for my first triathlon which i also did in my 40s by the way right so the first yeah. time and i remember i my coach he was the best and he would say to everyone in there doing their thing because in our practice some people weren't doing a triathlon they might be doing something else but he said I want everyone to understand it is every bit as admirable to run your first 5k yep. as it is to do a triathlon. Absolutely. It's a first, something different, right? So it just depends where you are. So if you could talk to people about, I like to tell them, you know, maybe some uh, podcast you're listening to or a book that you've read that you love or something that you would have people you know, just learn something from that may be recent or something that you keep in your back pocket from early days. Um, what, what could you, is there anything you'd like to talk to people about around, if there was a book you could read, it would be this one. Or here's a podcast that I like to just something fun for them to take away from you today. Um, honestly, a lot. Uh, part of what, yeah. I, what I enjoy is actually, um, diversity of sources, diversity of topics. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things that let me just, I'll just show you what I'm reading. Hang on. Couple here, <laughs> I'll just share with you. Um, the first one, yeah. So, so the first, the first one that I recommend, and, and this is a bit of a classic, uh, Reinventing You. Oops, there you mm -hmm. go. Dory Clark. I think this is a great book. Yeah. Um, the other one that I'm working through now is The Art of Living. The Art of Living. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Huh? Um, and I'm also reading a collection of articles um, published by uh, members of the Singapore Institute of Directors around governance issues. So very different, right? So <laughs> everything from the art of living to, to governance issues to uh, to reinvention. Um, so yeah, that's um, that gives you a paper. Uh, oh, and, and um, um, uh, the other one is, uh, um, which one is it? Kai, um, Kai Fu's re recent book on, uh, on AI, all the different things that you. Oh, that's great. That. So, so, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's quite eclectic. Yeah, that's great. So I am too. I'm very eclectic in what I, um, I like to read and I usually, so have more than one thing going, just like you do. You, you've got four things going right now. I do too. It's worthwhile asking that question because we can always learn from each other. So um, I was just at a barbecue yesterday and someone was talking about a book that they were reading and I'm having it sent to my house. So, you know, it'll, it'll be here by the time I get home. There you so um, I would like to sum up with this. If you could think about just three things that you would want people to take away from our conversation today and when when we think about personal or the business reinvention what would be three things that you would like them to really take away and think about from our conversation so the first thing i would say is to take an expansive view of the landscape this applies whether it is at a corporate or organization level or at an individual level. Uh, it's sort of how do you frame um, the relevant uh, space 
that you want to play in. Um, and very often with both organizations as well as individuals, we tend to frame um, our option set a little bit more closely held than we can. So, you know, are you in the automotive business or are you in the transportation business, right? Uh, am I in the business of being a lawyer or am I in a business of helping people solve their problems, right? So how do you frame your landscape? Take an expansive view of the landscape is the first thing I'd say. The second thing I would say is, you know, really think about the type of um, uh, sort of, I, I would call it the, the, the support infrastructure uh, that one needs to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at it from an organization level, what kind of team do you need to have to drive your business to the future? Uh, if you're at an individual level, you know, what kind of support infrastructure do you need to help make these adjustments, whether it's family, a community, uh, trusted friends, uh, a network? Um, how do you actually ensure that you've got this great picture of the future that you want to navigate towards that you have to support to get there because nobody gets there alone, whether it's your personal invention or a CEO that's trying to drive or a board that's trying to drive a business into the future. You need the whole ecosystem to come together. And the third thing I would say is, you know, really be thinking about doing the deep work that connects both, um, I'd say the head and the heart. You know, mm. very often we are quite accustomed to think about, well, the, the head solutions, um, both from an organization perspective. So here's the strategy here, you know, here are the financials, here's why it makes sense. Or even at an individual level, you know, cognitively, I appreciate that this is the right thing to do, but how do you actually blend that um, with, you know, the business of how we operate in society, uh, how we engage and connect with people um, and I think we're a little bit socialized to think about head and heart as sort of two distinct domains, um, but actually, um, how can we integrate that a little yeah. bit more so that whenever we're thinking about um, a business decision, we're thinking about, well, what does that mean to the people in the business? Conversely, when we're thinking about sort of the more human dimensions of what we're trying to do, well, what are the strategic implications of that? So it has to work both ways, right? And the same, I would say, when we think about our own personal reinvention, you know, think about uh, what is it that, uh, you know, we're good at, you mentioned this earlier, but how does it link into our passion? Conversely, we might be passionate about something, but hey, how do you translate that into a way to make a living, right? So all of these things, I think, are really two sides of the same coin. You would call it yin and yang, you call it whatever you want to call it, but how do we blend these two concepts and not think about them as opposing forces? So those are three things I'd say. Big landscape, the support structure that you need, and the integration of uh, head and heart. Okay, I love that. Thank you so much. So, Suyen, I the reason that I started this podcast was to connect executives with one another, to connect women um, with each other. And I know that Su Yen Wang is available on, you have a, a very active LinkedIn page. And we've also got, you know, if people want to understand and learn more about you, tell us how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in Remarkable Reinventors, how they can inquire about that as well. 
Sure. Um, so LinkedIn is great. You can look for me, Suyen Wong, LinkedIn, but also on my website, www.suyenwong.com, S-U-Y-E-N-W-O-N-G.com. Yes, they and they do. And you've got a beautiful website. So everyone check her out. Look at some of the things that she's written. Um, I really sincerely appreciate your time today and for you sharing your thinking and your thoughts for what I know will help our listeners in their personal and professional journey of life. So thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure.